Hi, and welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, our weekly look at the Catholic intellectual tradition and an exploration of the authors, books, and topics that have shaped Catholic thinking for 2,000 years. My name is Jason Gale, and I'm joined this week by Dr. Benjamin Smith. And today we are going to discuss authentic truth. But before we get into that, uh, I want to mention to our listeners, we're coming up upon our one-year anniversary uh, as Catholic Studies Academy. And so I just want to take this opportunity to thank all of our listeners uh, and all of those who have subscribed to our courses. We've created over 100 half-hour lecture courses on all sorts of topics in theology and philosophy. Uh, we've uh, created over 40 podcasts, which have been listened to over 6,000 times. And so I just want to say uh, thank you on behalf of all of us here at Catholic Studies Academy for your support and uh, uh, your continued support as well. And so I want to ask you all to help us out, help us to continue to grow by sharing our content, subscribing to our podcasts, however you listen to them, however you get them. Uh, but also checking out our YouTube video and some of the other content we have at catholicstudiesacademy.com. And if you're so inclined, subscribe to our courses. Uh, with our courses, you'll receive uh, formation in philosophy and theology from a Catholic perspective, where our professors draw on the rich tradition of uh, the Catholic Church uh, for 2,000 years. And if you're studying philosophy, beyond that. Uh, and so I just want to thank all of our listeners there. So today we thought it would be good to continue our discussion with uh, authenticity. Uh, and so in our last podcast, we talked about authentic beauty uh, and how the the, the beauty re, uh, lies in the reality of the thing. And that beauty really is the, the, the goodness of the thing being shown through, coming through. And so today we want to talk about uh, authentic truth, especially important today uh, because we know of the attacks, particularly coming from the uh, area of relativism, uh, where uh, truth is attacked uh, on all sides, uh, or it's just simply denied altogether. And so, uh, Dr. Smith, let's let's go ahead and get uh, get started with authentic truth. Maybe we can begin by maybe maybe talk a little bit about this kind of dictatorship of relativism, as Pope Benedict XVI talked a lot about uh, in mm. his pontificate. Yeah, thanks, Jason. That uh, uh, that phrase, that idea, that insight of Benedict XVI, it's really uh, crucial and points to I think you could say something like a crisis of truth mm -hmm. uh, that uh, modern man suffers under. Uh, you know, what he was really referring to there was the way in which oftentimes we think of the relativity of truth as something that sort of secures our freedom. Mm -hmm. But in fact, it actually has the, the reverse, right? It actually makes us subject to the tyranny of passion. One of the things that's interesting right there, you think about what is relativism, right? Relativism is the view that truth is relative to an individual, to a time, to a group, or to a historical period, mm -hmm. right? So that truth changes, and truth can even be um, opposed to truth, even in, the, in its own time, right? right. Um, <clears throat> so it's a denial of the unity of truth. It's a denial of the consistency of truth. It's a denial of the immutability of truth. Um, and uh, Cardinal Ratzinger at the time, then soon to be Pope, yeah, this was in 2005, you know, rightly recognized that that kind of relativity with respect to truth actually brackets truth, removes truth from the table, and brings in really the, the possibility of a kind of almost tyranny of passion or of will, right? Mm -hmm. If you remove the truth, right, from your analysis, 
from your perception, from your experience of things, then really all you're left with is, well, what do I want? What do I feel like? What do I desire? Right. Right. And all of life really becomes subject to that kind of the domination of desire and will. Yeah. And I think it's with, or with truth, we have that, uh, uh, there has to be, we understand that, that there has to be that standard. And, you know, while, while a lot of times it gets denied wholeheartedly, when you get down to concrete examples, most people I don't think are relativists. Because, <laughs> uh, um, I mean, you, you simply ask them a question, okay, name one time when rape is okay. You know, mm. they'll have a hard time <laughs> naming sure. a, a circumstance where, where rape can be okay. When we, when I think you, you have these conversations on a one-on-one mm-hmm. level and you mm-hmm. get into these uh, uh, you, you can establish that uh, there are some objective truths, um, mm-hmm. but maybe somebody will say, well, okay, so there's some, maybe one or two, but right. most, most yeah. truths are, are relative. Sure. sure. Um, yeah. uh, so how can we, how can we maybe, maybe get a, a deeper appreciation of truth mm-hmm. and it's uh, specifically in its relationship with, you know, what a thing is. Cause that's where yeah, we that's found, right. that's where we found beauty. So that's right. Right. Yeah. You want to drive back to, to reality there and you really have to kind of train your mind almost uh, to bypass certain kind of common modern errors yeah. that we run into um, in order to, to, to get back to the reality of truth. As you say, I mean, I agree. There are very few people who are consistent relativists, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you might be able to find some, you know, hardcore relativist in, you know, maybe academia, but most people, even most academics, aren't uh, really consistent relativists. They'll be relativists about something or the other, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but relativism does become kind of a position that they fall back on, right? Um, uh, in in different areas of life, and a lot oftentimes that is related to the idea of what I what I call sentimentalism. Um, and that is the view, often unspoken, but that sentiments and feeling, right, mm-hmm. the ultimate criteria for truth, right, that uh, we could, that basically, you know, my feelings uh, about a given proposition, my feelings about a given thesis, really are the criteria that determine whether it's true or false. You know, I like X or I don't like X, right, yeah. or, or I describe so-and-so as icky. And therefore, he would not, you know, be a good presidential candidate or something of that nature. It's showing that really your your feelings of repulsion then become criteria for determining the truth of a given proposition about who would be good or bad at a given office. Uh, and that, you know, obviously that's – I wouldn't want to say that our feelings are irrelevant, right, to thinking about the truth. Right. Uh, but they certainly are far, far from sufficient. And often they are, you know, often our emotions are irrational. Um, not always, but often. <laughs> yeah, I always, I always like to, you know, to to use the 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 family as you know as a good analogy and stuff. I mean, just the idea of of allowing my children, you know, or to to run my family like a relativistic society <laughs> is, is, I mean, it's laughable. Exactly. I mean, it's it's just something that that's in one way so ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, just to allow my children, well, you know, you know, if you, if you, if you feel like that's really something you want to do, you know, mm-hmm. go ahead and put the fork in the outlet. Like, you know, there's this, <laughs> there's this kind of, uh, you know, it, it's, it's ridiculous yet, yet, um, 
in our in our modern society we 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 have that when it comes to things like gender you know uh if you want to you know mutilate your body oh well if that's how you feel like no that's not a good thing you know and, and there's you know all sorts of different examples that we can that we can draw from uh, again because we've not, yeah. and like and like you said it's not because our feelings don't have a place but that we've we've put our feelings at the top of what are the standards of truth right yeah i mean i recently uh uh, was in a conversation where the person was justifying their belief that God thinks divorce is okay and that it's okay for him to get a divorce because he would be miserable otherwise. <laughs> it's pretty poor, right? I mean, it's it's yeah. bad reasoning, right? Yeah, like, that's the it word. just doesn't follow, right? Uh, your misery is not um, your misery, right? Your feelings of being miserable or unhappy, right? Uh, doesn't make divorce okay, right? I mean, if yeah. you if maybe you want to mount an argument for that, okay, fine. Um, but let's have the argument. Uh, let's not just fall back to, oh, I'm going to feel miserable otherwise. Right. Okay, I'm so sorry. Right. That just doesn't doesn't cut it. You know, certain truths of the faith are like this, right? You know, when you talk about the cross, or um, sure. you know, divine justice, or whatever it may be, right? You know, like, oh, I don't like that. That makes me feel icky, or just stop it, right? Yeah. Like. You know, I get it. Yes, we all have feelings, and sometimes we find some certain truths of the faith very challenging, right? Um, and challenging to our sentiments, but just doesn't follow that they're false because of that. Yeah, and I think the way this gets played out religiously on a whole, not just ne- not you know, not necessarily in Catholicism or anything. So I remember talking to somebody, and they were talking about uh, uh, they moved to a new town, and they were they were looking for a church, mm-hmm. and they went to these uh, they went to several different churches, and they're like. Yeah, we just didn't, you know, we didn't feel like what the pastor was saying was with what is what we believed. And we, we didn't feel, and she kept going through all of these things. And she, and it was just this this process of, of them finding a, a Christianity, finding a church that had a form of Christianity that they had formed mostly based on their feelings. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and, and again, justifying particular uh uh moral positions and things like that but but again it was this 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 formation of christianity based on what i think um Mm -hmm. as opposed to letting christianity form us you know and i think that's and i think that's kind of the one of the key concepts with truth is that you know uh uh, truth is not we it's not true because we say it is true uh (laughs) you know, we believe it because it is true outside of ourselves. You know, we, you know, it's what the church preaches and teaches. She does that because it's true, but it is not true because we say it is. That's um, right. Yeah. That's a good point, Jason. Uh, it really gets back to both sentimentalism, but, you know, sentimentalism is just one subset of what's in philosophy called subjectivism, mm-hmm. right? Which is just the idea that the subject determines truth, right? right? Um, at a more even broader philosophical perspective, you could talk about idealism, right? Where you talk about the the view that the mind is the measure of reality rather than reality being the measure of mind. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but all of it uh, uh, sort of circles around the idea that you've alluded to a couple of times here, which is that truth is not based on myself. It's not based on myself as a subject, but something external to myself, external to my psyche, mm-hmm. right? It was one way of putting it. Um, uh, something that's not mind dependent, but what we, you know, what philosophers call reality, right? right. Uh, you know, reality, the real, okay, right. as opposed to the ideal. I'm using this in a technical way here. Mm-hmm. 
ideal sometimes means, you know, our lofty aspirations. That's not what I mean here. Ideal means mind dependent, dependent, you know, on the subject, uh, something, you know, um, think about maybe imaginary creatures or imagine imaginary creatures, right? right. That would be an example of something that in the technical language, right, would be a being of reason, but not a real being, right? That's yeah. something, you know, they don't, unicorns don't exist. We can talk about them. We can kind of imagine them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, uh, that's not uh, a, a real being, right? Um, uh, whereas, uh, you know, badgers and fir trees are real beings, right? Mm-hmm. That's reality, right? It's, 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 um, those things are not mind dependent. They exist whether we like it or not. Right. <laughs> right? Exactly. There's the key, right? Is that they have a, an independent kind of existence, an independent kind of um, uh, truth and intelligibility to them outside of human thoughts, outside of human wishes, uh, et cetera, like the law of gravity, right? Right. <laughs> you know, I mean, you could try to think it away, but. It's there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you can, you can, you can have, you can have a. I use this very lightly. You can have a reasonable discussion about does a unicorn have wings or not, um, but okay. you cannot have that same discussion about does a badger have wings or not, That's right. because there's there's a reality that exists within <laughs> a badger that it does not have wings. However, yeah. because yeah. the 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 existence, if you want to use that word of a unicorn relies solely on our minds, yeah. uh, we can change it because it's dependent upon our own minds. Ooh, and so our yeah. minds can change it. Whereas the reality of, of real things is outside of our minds and therefore it's not based on our minds. Yeah, I mean, think about it like this. Imagine that there was a, this is a weird, maybe kind of sci-fi way of thinking about it, but imagine there was some sort of disease pathogen, right? They just wiped out the whole human species. Like once all the pictures of unicorns went away and everything, like there just would be no, like unicorn would just fall into nothingness. Right? <laughs> like, you know, but badger would remain. Yeah. Right? yeah exactly. There would still be, you know, badgers and, you know, uh, the planet, the planet Saturn. Um, <laughs> you know, those would be realities, right? Gravity would still be true. Even if there were no minds, uh, they'd still be real even if there were right. no human minds to perceive it. Right. And so this, and so like beauty, which lies in reality, the same goes with truth. Uh, now these, you know, St. Thomas, uh, and, and, you know, calls these, you know, the divine names, uh, um, you know, the transcendentals talk about maybe how, how is God truth? You know, how is he yeah. with, with regards to, uh, God's relationship to like these the transcendentals, but in particular truth. Yeah, so uh, the transcend. I would just say make a distinction here that the transcendentals are included among the divine names, but there okay. are the divine names that go beyond the transcendentals, right? For example, like immutability. Right. Um, and when you're thinking about the transcendentals as applicable to God, uh, we still want to be a little bit careful and say that they're applicable analogously, right? Mm-hmm. So for all of my scotistic friends, we are not uh, going to uh, apply truth here univocally uh, uh, to God, but still analogously, okay. um, with all due respect. <laughs> so the <laughs> sorry, I am a Thomist, yeah. but the um, uh, so but there, you know, uh, St. Thomas is really um, uh, in the mainstream here of Western thought, Christian thought, and endorsing the idea of the transcendentals, right? So there's a way in which we can say of all being that it is true. I think it's easiest to talk about that level, and then we can talk about it sort of mm-hmm. in the road of God. Um, so, um, 
what does it mean to say that all being is true? Well, there's a couple of ways of putting this. One is that being, and this is just like right in the teeth of modern philosophy, a lot of modern kind of ideas, but <laughs> the being by its very nature is knowable and intelligible to the human mind, right? So that, that being is sort of self-disclosing, right? It's keyed to the human mind to be known, right? right, right. Uh, and the human mind is keyed to being, um, such that it's really, you really have to, you have to like go Cartesian, right? <laughs> to really try to get being away from you, right? It's actually, being is just manifest. It's only sort of modern philosophers who, you know, engage in this radical turn to the subject who end up losing being and then having to try to re, and then trying to reattach us to being, right? You know, through different philosophical arguments. But rather the idea is that being um, by its very nature as reality uh, is uh, keyed to being known by the human intellect. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, it's true of all being that it is knowable. Mm. Yeah, and that's yeah. And, and again, the distinction there is that the uh, the reality of the being does not lie in the fact that it is knowable, but because it is being, it That's is right. knowable. That's uh, right. Very good. Yeah. Yeah. That's important. I mean, when St. Thomas would want to describe this, he says, look, you know, the, the ultimate object of human intellect is being, mm -hmm. you know, you can't wait. One way of thinking of this is, uh, this is why it says that being, uh, is that which first falls into the intellect. Uh, he's not saying we are all are born automatically, you know, sophisticated metaphysicians, right. <laughs> but rather that, um, that you, we can't think nothing, that we always think things in terms of being, right? Mm -hmm. And what that shows to us, uh, we can't even speak that like in a different way uh, and, and make any sense at all, right? So um, what that indicates for St. Thomas, right, is that being is the ultimate object of intellect uh, and that intellect is actualized in its knowing processes um, through contact with being. Mm -hmm. So anytime there's thinking going on, there's some connection to being, even yeah. if it's sort of misguided or distorted, you're only thinking if you're thinking being right. Um, which I think is a, a really important point about um, modern man, right? I mean, one of the key aspects of modern man is the oblivion of being, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, that we've fallen away from being and like almost, that's almost kind of the, I would argue that that's one of the defining characteristics of modernity. Uh, and it really traces back to the work of Immanuel Kant, right? Where he, he sort of says, look, there's, we've got our experience, but that's just phenomena. We have no idea the way things are in themselves. We have no idea about reality in itself. Uh, we just know it as we kind of experience it subjectively, right? Yeah, you can't know and, anything. I mean, that's right. <laughs> you can know your own experience and that's it. Right. Yeah. And that kind of pushes back into that sentimentalism. Right? Kant himself wasn't a sentimentalist. But you can see how framing the issue in that way. Right. Might lead you uh, towards um, uh, sentimentalism. And, and uh, I would also add, I mean, that's that's one of the most as as a human person who desires to know the truth. That's one of the most depressing Right. positions to take because uh, uh, I mean we you know as 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 much as we love to talk about our feelings you know one of the one of the places where our feelings come in here is that as human persons created in the image and likeness of God to know the truth there's also a desire to know the truth it's not like we're uh, uh, lazy about oh if I know the truth cool if I don't oh well no we yeah. have a there's a strong desire for for us to 
uh, to know the truth. But then also f- from that knowing, there's also that that draw to in- incorporate your life into that truth or kind of cooperate with that truth, conform your life to, to whatever that truth is. Yeah, right. Nobody wants to live in unreality. Um, <laughs> you know, the way, you know, in Fetus et Ratio, uh, you know, Jabba the Second talks about this idea that that in truth, you know, man finds himself, right, realizes yeah. himself, right, in his full uh, uh, dignity. And this, you know, traces all the way back, really, to Plato and Aristotle. Plato, you know, I mean, Aristotle opens the the metaphysics with the, the you know, important line that I bring in almost every time I teach introduction to philosophy, which is all men by nature desire to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, that is, we have a natural inclination to understand uh, and, and to try to, or at least to try to understand. Now, to be sure distorted often by sin and laziness and so forth. Uh, but it is there, right? And and in some ways it avenges itself on us at certain times, right? Yeah. When we go through a period of purposefully uh, being distracted and deluded, right? That desire for truth as a way of, uh, of, of sometimes uh, reasserting itself, um, whether we, we like it uh, or not. You know, last time, in the last episode, we also talked about the idea that, you know, the that beauty is the appearance of the good. Mm. And I would, well, one way I think of t- thinking about truth is to think of truth as the appearance of being, right? That is that truth is being made manifest in uh, the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, so that th- this might sound a little obscure, but I, I think this is a helpful way of, of thinking about truth is truth is where being sort of shows itself in human thinking. Uh, so the human mind is almost a conduit, a display, right, mm-hmm. uh, for um, for being, for being in its universality, for its uh, in its unchanging principles, uh, ultimately in terms of its beauty, its goodness, all those sorts of things, right? Um, but that the human person, right, in his intellectual powers, is really where being shows itself, mm-hmm. uh, and that all of our arts, our culture. Uh, uh, our philosophy, these sorts of things are places where we are um, displaying being. And it might sound odd, but that's actually, I think, part of our flourishing. Like, that's actually, we're set up to do that, right? Um, yeah. And, uh, and we find ourselves, realize ourselves, I think, in that task. Yeah, so I think that's a, it's a beautiful way to put it. And I, and I think it's a way that not only shows that we are made in the image and likeness of God because these things are knowable. We desire to know them. And in, in that way, you can really see how kind of there's kind of this uh, incarnational aspect of, mm. of being coming into the intellect, enlightening our minds uh, so that we can so that we can think like God and, mm. and see the world as he designed it, as as he created it. So, I mean, I think in a real way, this this not only shows God's power and majesty and his creation, but it also should lead us back to mm-hmm. God uh, in a very real way. So I think truth has that power, which... Uh, sure. Uh, St. Thomas takes this up in his questions on truth in the Summa and other places, but this is in some ways a really Augustinian theme mm-hmm. uh, that St. Thomas appropriates. So one of the things you might note, right, is that earlier when I was describing the way in which truth is a transcendental property of being or a set of all being that i said that all being is potentially knowable right Mm -hmm. uh that's different from saying actually knowable Mm -hmm. and um the uh actually known right Right. to put it more strongly um and to really fit the definition of being a transcendental it needs to not just be potentially knowable Uh but actually known right that is it's 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 actually um 
the, the truth of being is actually contained in an intellect, right? Mm. And of course, what St. Thomas thinks is that that's true of God, right? right. So that when we think about God as true, um, let's describe this in, 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 in his way, is that all being is, the truth is based on a relationship between uh, being and mind. He says, well, all being is related to God's mind, right? Mm-hmm. As the artifact is related to the artisan. Mm. So here we have a slightly different meaning of truth. The, the meaning of truth that we've been talking about is the kind of truth that um, Thomas would call speculative. Now, we have, I've talked about that word before. Speculative here doesn't mean you're guessing, right? right. Or betting, right? Speculative right. here means just looking, observing, right? So it's a kind of descriptive truth. You could put it that way, right? Um Whereas uh, the kind of truth where you talk about the relationship between the artifact and the artisan is what he could call uh, a practical kind of truth, the kind of truth that exists between the exemplar and the mind of the carpenter mm-hmm. and the finished product, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So if the table fits your plan, right, the plan of the carpenter, then in that way we can say it's true because it corresponds to the plan in the mind of the carpenter. Does that make sense? So all of being has that relationship to God, right? Now this is really interesting because it reverses a little bit of what we were talking about before here. In the practical order of truth, mind is the measure, right? That is the plan in the mind of God is the measure for being, right? right? Um, And that really sets the stage for our ability to know know the truth descriptively, right? right, 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 our, right. our mind has to conform to reality, right? Uh, does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. And I think an important point to add to that would be that, and, and maybe I'm going too far uh, too far with this, but you know, I think sometimes when people understand it that way or you say it that way, it sounds almost arbitrary, that it's some, mm. that it just kind of exists in God's mind, just to however he feels. They'll say, well, if God said it was that, then he can just arbitrarily kind of change it. But, but you That's know, I would true. say, yeah, I, <laughs> that is not true. Yeah, yeah so I, mean, I would say, you know, the, the existence of it in the divine mind, it's, it's not, the, it, it's important. I think it's an important point to add to say that it doesn't exist in the, nothing exists in the mind of God in an arbitrary sense. Right. Um, yeah. That it is there in a beautiful, loving uh, um, intricate, wow. intricate yeah, right. way. Uh, uh, there is, there is some, you know, um, kind of, you know, architecture to absolutely uh, yeah. uh, to those things. So, I mean, I, I, I just want to throw throw that out there. I think because I that's mean, I've, I've... that would be a conception that's more uh, sort of alchemist, right? Um, and and right. more moves in the in the late Franciscan uh, direction, where there's an, yeah, where there's an emphasis on the idea of the absolute power of God over the ordained power of God. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just as a side note, several of the Protestant, you know, reformers were reacting to this and, and criticized this, and, and rightly so. The uh, the more classical position, right, is to say that God, that God always acts in accordance with his own essence and his own divine goodness, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. And that essence is immutable, okay? Right. So while there is actually uh, many different things that God could do that God hasn't done, right, um, God could have created even more creatures or more planets or mm-hmm. whatever, right? Um, 
everything he does, he, he does in a way that's consistent with his own essence. So it's not arbitrary. Right, right, right. Uh, everything he does, he does in a way that's consistent with his own goodness, and so it's not arbitrary. And so, while maybe he could have designed, as I say, additional creatures, additional stars, or fewer stars, right, that kind of thing. Um, it's nevertheless the case that everything he has done is based in his wisdom and his essence and his goodness. So one of the things, ways of, of thinking about this, you think of sort of the top down, right? Mm-hmm. God then, right, in his design in his wisdom uh in his providence creates things right so that the, his creations are patterned on his own intellect right his own wisdom his own essence that order mm-hmm. right is actually what uh makes possible our knowing of the the creation of god right mm-hmm. uh because it's patterned on his own wisdom and our minds are patterned to know that uh, that reality. The idea that truth existing in God's mind is just his arbitrary will kind of a thing. The fact that we can know it in mm-hmm. an organized, systematic way, the fact that we have like systems mm-hmm. of science, uh, right. um, I think points to the, 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 the beautiful uh, design uh, and mm-hmm. love that goes into the, the, the architecture of, of not just making things, but making things knowable. Right. Yeah, that right, fact. Right. I mean, it's, it blows yeah. my mind. I mean, so, you know, I think when you think- let me put this in a, in a way that it's a little more uh, contemporary analytic. You know, the, either the origin of the universe is rational or irrational. Right? <laughs> and if the origin of the universe is irrational, then there's no good reason to think that the universe is, is, is rational mm-hmm. and therefore knowable by the human mind. On the other hand, if the origin of the universe is rational, right, and design things rationally, then it is, in fact, then, then reality as a rational thing is knowable by human reason. Does that make sense? Yeah, and it's irrational to think that that rationality came out of chaos. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah, you have no good reason, right? You right? Have no... uh, to, to think that that uh, that the irrational creates the rational, right? Yeah. There's a, a dialectical opposition there that 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 uh, uh, that should be evident. Um, so uh, you know you can turn that into sort of an apologetic type argument um, uh, ultimately uh, if one likes um, and it's, and it's useful. Uh, but it does sort of point to the way in which, um, you know, truth is tied into reality and truth is uh, tied into, uh, uh, into God. And there's also a big moral dimension also to truth as well. I mean, you know, we have a commandment against offenses against truth you know the eighth commandment you know bearing false witness like i think sometimes people can can compartmentalize you know some of these things especially with when it comes to morality and and the catholic faith thinking that they can believe the things about god without believing the 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 moral implications of that but truth does have great uh, moral dimensions a great moral dimension to it and and that, you know, and I think this is where, you know, conscience comes in as well, where, or even just kind of that, that inclination to conform your life to truth. It's a natural desire uh, mm-hmm. of all human people uh, to it's conform a, yeah. their life to truth. I mean, my, my, my kids, I mean, they're, they're young, but when they want to know something, I mean, they will not let it go. I mean, mm-hmm. they will, they have this strong desire to know it. From um, the perspective of, uh, you know, classical philosophy and theology, where right, we can see that one of the ways in which truth is tied into the moral life and into the life of virtue in view of the fact that that truth perfects the intellect. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and so that, you know, the, the end of intellect is the truth, right? right. I mean, it's knowing the truth, understanding the truth. Human beings then flourish, right? So you think about what's really desirable for a human being. Well, among those things that are really desirable for a human being is to know the truth, to understand the truth, insofar as you're capable mm-hmm. uh, and your circumstances allow. That actually uh, um, is uh, good for us um, as, as human beings and points to one of the real problems with kind of the modern inclinations towards relativism in some areas, at least, right? Because if you start to say, well, all truth is relative or most truth is relative or, or something like that, um, then really you're impeding, right, the development and the, the flourishing of the human person, right? Uh, because, you know, then they're not going to be able to find the authentic truth, right, which is, uh, as we've talked about, tied in um, to reality. So, so one of the best things, I think, to do when you start to sort of see the relativism sort of <laughs> emerging as an obstacle, right, mm-hmm. uh, is to, to push back in this direction of the idea that truth is based on reality, which I actually think is, is really our, our common sense way of, of thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Where we get confused often, I think, on this is the difference between disagreeing about what is true mm-hmm. and thinking that truth is based on reality. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, or the difference between figuring out the truth and the basis of truth. So one way I, I like to put this to my students is that whether you're a theist or an atheist, right, or an agnostic, what determines the truth of the existence of God is not your opinion about it, mm-hmm. right? What depend what determines the truth of the existence of God um, is reality, right? The reality yeah. of God, right? Uh, or to say, you know, with the, whether Jesus of Nazareth is the son of God, right? Um, it's reality, right? Uh, it's the reality about Jesus that makes that belief either true or false, right? Yeah, if think... he did not have a human, if he did not have a divine nature, if he was not a divine person, then in fact, what you have to say is that the belief that he's the son of God is false, no matter how much you want it to be true or believe it to be true. Right. And conversely, right, if he did have, a, if he was a divine person with a divine nature, then it's true whether or not you believe it or not. Now, that's different from figuring out what is the truth, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the truth about that is not relative. It's based on reality, which is consistent with itself. Oh, I think that sometimes in apologetic conversations, that's where we, we just talk past each other. You know, mm-hmm. you have one side talking about how they don't think anything is true based on their feelings. The other side uh, 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 feels a bit frustrated. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and they're now in a spot where they have to argue against somebody's feelings. Like practically, mm-hmm. the, practically, it's one of the most frustrating uh, just uh, 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 <laughs> sure. events to, to take part in. Because they don't go back to that fundamental question of where does truth lie? They begin putting out those arguments for God's existence and things like that, whereas they, they, there's kind of a, a, a missed first step of, sure. of, of, of going back to that basic uh, um, truth, that uh, truth relies in the reality of the thing. Um, so mm-hmm. sometimes, you know, uh, you know and a, a good analogy is kind of, you know, sometimes when we talk about uh, um, uh, scripture. I mean, Protestants and Catholics throwing scripture at each other, but uh, many times those arguments always go get boiled down to the authority of scripture. Where does that come from? Uh, you know, and and, and so in, in a similar way, I think sometimes when we're talking about different different things, whether we're talking to atheists, uh, um, that we need to go back to that basic argument of you know what is truth, where does it lie, 
um, and are certain truths, you know, immutable? Uh, and if, right. yeah. And if, and if they, if they are, you know, that there's, there's consequences. Yeah. I think, uh, uh, related to that, uh, sort of the issue about its immutability is the idea that once you recognize that truth is based on reality, not on your feelings, not on your wants, not on your intentions or choices, then one of the things you, you need to recognize is it can't be relative, right? That mm-hmm. is in this sense that reality as I was pointing out about the questions about God or the divinity of Jesus Christ is one way, right? Mm-hmm. That is, it's not as if reality is opposed to reality, right? Um, the, the opposite of reality is nothing and nothing doesn't exist, okay, <laughs> right? So reality is always consistent with itself. Um, I'm going to say this, this, make this statement from Aristotle, okay? And it's going to sound weird at first, but it's <laughs> super useful, okay? So I'll say it twice, All right? So Aristotle teaches that the same thing cannot be and not be at the same time in the same respect. Right. Right. So principle of non-contradiction. That's right. The same thing cannot be and not be at the same time in the same respect. Closely related to other principles. This is so important, right? Yeah. It's evident to the human mind, right, as well. Everybody in ordinary life accepts this principle, right? If I was to if you were to tell your spouse, well, I am an adulterer and I am not adulterer. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, no, <laughs> right? like, like either you are or you're not. Right? Yeah. Like it, it is, there's, there's no in between here. Right. Um, the, uh, the, you know, either you are um, in uh, Paris drinking coffee with, uh, uh, you know, Jacques Maritain or you are not. <laughs> right. There's just right. no way around it. Right. Um, yeah. So that, that's what's getting it. Yeah. I was going to say like, you know, you have a you have a bowl of soup. That bowl of soup is either hot or it's cold. At that at that moment, it can be both hot and cold, but not at the same time. Uh, and so, what that does for us, right, is to show us that, like, since that's the case, contradictory propositions, mm-hmm. contradictory beliefs about reality can't both be true, right? right? Because either Jesus Christ is the Son of God, or He is not. And if He is not, then the you know the affirmation of His divinity is false, and the denial of His divinity is true. On the other hand, if the reality is that he is the son of God, then, you know, it's, it's the opposite, right, uh, in terms of the truth and falsehood. Uh, so the truth isn't relative because being is consistent with itself. Mm-hmm. Um, reality uh, itself is non-contradictory. Um, reality uh, is, in a sense, you could say, kind of uniform. Yep. And I think that's that's hugely important. There's a lot of those basic philosophical principles that, that can help us out. One thing I, I, I do want to point out is that this uh, really goes back to, not to put an ad, ad in, but this is what we're really trying to do at Catholic Studies Academy. Um, and even, you know, the what, what made me think of it was, you know, the title of our uh, podcast here, Take sure. Every Thought Captive. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 10 where it reads in in uh, verse 4 beginning in verse 4 the weapons of our warfare are not the weapons of the world instead they have the instead they have divine power to demolish strongholds we tear down arguments and every presumption set against the knowledge of god and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to christ truth really set, mm-hmm. sits at the heart of this and and um truth lying in the knowledge of god and part of our, our flourishing as human persons is uh, uh, aligning our intellect with uh, with the mind of God. And we can only do that in truth. Uh, we can only align our minds with the uh, mind of God in that way, in the formation of our intellect. And we don't do it so that we're, you know, 
academic sitting in some ivory tower, but we do that so that we can act also, you know, in mm-hmm. a tr- in a truthful way. So we can make our entire life kind of that that living, uh, that living prayer back to God in truth mm-hmm. and beauty and goodness. Uh, so, Doctor Smith, uh, any final thoughts uh, on truth? Um, sure. Uh, you know, the alternative to truth, right, is illusion and yeah. delusion and fantasy. You know, fantasy literature has its place, <laughs> but living in fantasy, living in delusion, engaging in magical thinking is actually, in fact, not good for us in terms of our mental health, in terms of our spiritual health, in terms of our activity as fellow citizens. We need to try to live in reality, right? eyes uh, wide open and clear minds, right? Oftentimes, I pray for my children, uh, clear minds and full hearts. And the um, you know, that's where we want to be, right? We want to see with clarity, right? Mm-hmm. Striking how often Scripture and classical philosophy invokes the importance of light, right? Because light enables uh, vision, right? Mm-hmm. You think about life as a path. If you lack that vision, right, then you don't know where you're going. <laughs> right. That's bad. That's so important. And that, that vision is not just, you know, our intellects, but uh, the, the grace of God is also there to, to strengthen our wills so that we can act in a truthful manner. And one last thing that I'll say is, you know, the more... The more I come to know about God and what he has revealed, it really has that aspect of beauty that we talked about last time of clarity, um, mm-hmm. that, that it really that it really begins to not just make the picture of who God is more clear or clearer, but it also helps me see the world clearer. You know, mm-hmm. I think one of the one of the biggest things that we should strive for spiritually is to see the world with the eyes of God, to see the other human person uh, with the eyes of God. And we can only do that through the the formation of our whole person. Uh, And so with that, I want to thank uh, all of our listeners for joining us today. Uh, Check us out at catholicstudiesacademy.com. Again, thank you so much for such a wonderful and a blessed year that we've had here. Uh, We hope that you'll continue on this journey with us, and we look forward to uh, uh, talking in the future. Uh, So until next time, God bless.